This is a, uh, this is a famous psalm. It's a beloved psalm. Uh, John Owen wrote a, a whole long book on this psalm. Uh, this song is, uh, is famous uh, in the life of John Wesley, who was, uh, along with his brother Charles and George Whitfield, uh, one of the most preeminent evangelists of uh, the last uh, 500 years. And the story goes that in uh, May of 1738, uh, Wesley was attending uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Uh, and heard Psalm 130 being sung. And these words especially, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? And Wesley was deeply convicted by what he heard that day. And that Later that night, uh, famously, he was reading Luther's commentary on Romans. And he was reading the preface, the beginning of Luther's commentary on Romans, and he, he describes it this way, he describes his conversion, that his soul was strangely warmed. That's how he described his conversion. Wesley is typical of the kind of person we were see, talking about this morning. The wise and the foolish virgins. Uh, the foolish virgins had an outward piety, didn't they? They were indistinguishable from others. Wesley was like that himself. Wesley was full of zeal. He, he, there were, they had a club called the Holy Club along with George Whitfield, and they were very zealous for doing good works and very passionate. And uh, he was over in North America and he was trying to establish uh, 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 orphanages and doing all sorts of things, but by his own reckoning he was not saved. The Moravians who were on the ship going over with him, he noticed that they had something that he didn't. And Wesley did not reckon himself to be saved until the moment, that day, when he heard Psalm 130 and later reading Luther's preface uh, uh, to his commentary on the book of Romans. So it, it's a psalm that... Uh, speaks to people very deeply. I remember my own experience with this psalm. When I was in Scotland, there was a mass shooting at a, 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 a school uh, by a man, by the, his last name was Hamilton. It was in Dunblane, Scotland. And uh, I remember that weekend in church, there was a very somber mood, but we, we began by singing, From the depths, O Lord, from the depths to Thee I cried. And it was remarkable to me how the psalms could reach us at, at even the lowest point in our lives. And, and that's, that's the glory of this psalm. It's a psalm that is typical of many psalms in that it starts off in a very somber, almost despairing mood. And yet by the end of it, you find the psalmist not only exalting in his own salvation, rejoicing in his own salvation, but calling others to come. That's one of the signs that grace is alive and work at work in our hearts. That we're not satisfied to enjoy it ourselves. We want others to know. And that's the, that's the progress that this psalm makes. And that's why Calvin called the psalms an anatomy of the soul. It, it, he called the psalms, a, it's like a mirror. You say, this is what godliness looks like. 
This is what it is to be alive when we sing these songs. That being alive can still mean that sometimes you go through very dark times. As the psalmist was doing, yet he was alive. The Apostle Paul went through dark times, didn't he? Oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, Satan buffeted him on several occasions. That does not negate the fact that a person can be still spiritually alive and go through very dark times. David, so many of David's psalms are described in that way. And, and, but also, the, uh, the psalmist is not satisfied to leave it where it is. And so I want to just break this psalm down into two sections. The psalmist speaking to God and God, or the psalmist speaking to the nation or perhaps to the congregation. So really two sections. He starts off by asking God to save him in spite of his corruption. And we feel that at the beginning. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths. I mean, we think of depths. We think of things that are really, really deep, down into the ocean, the depths of the ocean. You're down where there's darkness, where there's silence, where there is loneliness, where there's separation. You're in the depths. You're down as far as you can go. And this psalmist is describing his own experience. And it's of his own doing. That's why he says there, if, verse 3, if you should mark iniquities. So the implication is, obviously, that he's in these depths, not because someone brought him there, but because he put himself there through the choices that he made in that, uh, a particular day, through a pattern of behavior that he was undergoing on maybe in a long, uh, prolonged way. So he's crying out of the depths of his own sin. He lies in a kind of a, a depths of, of misery. And as I said, this was not coming from his foes, but from uh, within himself. And he realizes that there is no help except in God Himself. Out of the depths I cry to You, O Lord. You remember when Jonah was thrown overboard and the, the, the great fish swallowed him and it says it took him down into the bowels of the earth. He went right down into, uh, into uh, deep, deep waters. And he, from there, he cried to the Lord. And it tells us subsequently that the, the great fish spit him out and he found himself on the land and back on his mission again. But this is where God brings His people sometimes. He will bring us, and many of God's great servants have been brought there who struggled with depression, who struggled with despair. Um, uh, the uh, gentleman, um, you, will, you, will, uh, you will bring it to your mind instantly, those of you who know, God works in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. Uh, oh, it's right in the tip of my tongue. Anybody? Uh, he was a friend of, uh, of John Newton. Uh, it'll come to me. Uh, anyway, uh, he, he, again, he was, he was going to kill himself. He, he, was, he suffered intense periods of depression. And he was going to kill himself, and he was going to jump off the London Bridge, and as the story goes, they, he got into the taxi cab, and the taxi cab got lost in the London fog, 
and ended up back basically where he started off from. And he wrote that famous hymn, The Lord Works in Mysterious Ways, His Wonders, William Cowper, that's it, William Cowper. And uh, he, he wrote that famous hymn. But God brings uh, so many of his people into those situations. It is well with my soul, written uh, by, uh, I don't know if his last name was Stafford or his first name, I think his last name was Stafford. Uh, he, crossing the Atlantic, and uh, his, his uh, wife and his daughters, and his daughters were lost at sea in a, in a storm. And as he was passing over that place, uh, he, he uh, um, was mindful of God's never failing love to him. And he wrote, wrote that song, um, It is well with my soul. And so God for a reason. And what, what a legacy has been left for us through those seasons of discouragement. You can argue that the, the, the Reformation, which we celebrated last uh, a couple of weeks, well, last week I guess it was, um, was born out of a man being brought to the end of himself, being brought into the depths of despair. Martin Luther, as he struggled with the righteousness of God, he was asked uh, at one point before he came to know the free grace of God, he says, Brother Luther, do you love God? Love Him, sometimes I hate Him. That's what he would say. Because he could not please this holy, righteous God. And it, it, the darkness would become so intense for him. And so God uses, God allows His people sometimes to be brought into very dark and difficult times uh, for a purpose. To serve uh, the church. To serve the body of Christ, to serve the kingdom of God, to leave a legacy of God's faithfulness. And that's what's going on here. Out of the depths, I cry to You, O Lord. How many people have been served by Paul's being buffeted by Satan? Three times I cried to the Lord. And Jesus said to him, My grace is enough for you. Where would we be? Where would countless Christians be without that verse? We would be all the less for it, wouldn't we? So figuratively speaking, this man is, is really drowning in deep waters. But he's looking to the Lord. And he's making progress. This is what particularly uh, uh, broke the heart of the psalmist. Not, not so much the enemy, but sin. This is what his problem is. This is what he is worried about the most. You never hear Paul complaining about his pain. never hear him complaining about his suffering. But he complained about his, his sin, about his own wretchedness. Oh, wretched man that I am. He felt it. He felt the pain of that. That's the way it was with the psalmist. And that should be the highest concern of each and every one of us. That our highest concern would be offending God rather than the inconveniences that we sometimes endure from day to day. And so he says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Desperation is filling him and causing him to cry out with this desperate urgency. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? 
He's saying this because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, Lord, if you were to deal specifically with me compared to someone else, he's saying all have sinned, Lord. We're all in the same boat. Please deal with me as you would deal with other sinners in your mercy and in your grace. That's what Paul says when he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's not meaning that God turn a blind eye to his sin. But as someone has said, that in his mercy that he would remove them without entering into judgment with him. This is what he's asking. In Malachi it says, but who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. It's saying to the people of God not to take lightly the holiness of God. Not to take lightly who God really is. We need to remember that God is holy, holy, holy. And this psalmist has a a grasp of that idea. He's not serving a God that's just a little higher than Him, but he is serving a God who dwells in light unapproachable. And he is reckoning with his own actions and his own thoughts. He sees himself as, 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 as a, a, a rebel in God's eyes. And so when he begins to take all that together, the character of God, the holiness of God, and his own actions, his own sinfulness, uh, it issues in this great cry. But he not only understands the holiness of God, he understands the mercy of God. Don't we see that coupled so beautifully in Isaiah 6? Where Isaiah sees the Lord. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the, the uh, uh, seraphim were flying back and forth crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he said, I was undone. I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips. But then it says, then one of the seraphim flew with an altar, a coal off the altar and touched his lips and said, your sin is taken away. There in the very same moment, within sentences of one another, you see the devastating holiness of God and the life-transforming mercy of God. And this is what the psalmist is looking to here. He sees his corruption, but he sees also the mercy of God. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If an Israelite Israelite knew anything, he knew that God was a forgiving God. He hoped in his mercy. That's why you have King David after... Uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba and then killing off her husband. David is able to go boldly to God and say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love, according to Your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly and cleanse me from sin. I love those words where he says, But with you there is forgiveness. Those are amazing words in the Bible. But thou, O God. That's the difference. But you, O God. 
Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, son, children of wrath just like others, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of the love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ and seated us with him. Those small conjunct, uh, uh, conjunction words are so important. But with you, there is forgiveness. So out of, the, out of the blackness of this man's soul, out of the darkness of his experience, emerges this great affirmation. And friends, that is only something that the Spirit of God can give. Where do we get the, 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 the gall to come back to God in that way? We should just throw in the towel and walk away. Why do we keep coming back? No man can come unto me unless the Father draws him. The coming back, hoping in his mercy is a spirit-driven thing, friends. If you're hoping in Christ's mercy tonight, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit because these things are not natural to us. It's not natural for a man to see himself as he really is and still think he can have hope with a pure and holy God. It's the Spirit of God at work. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, if we find ourselves coming back like the prodigal son, I will arise and go to my father and say to my father, you see, there's something else at work in that young man. Save us then because of who you are. This is at the heart of God's nature. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, says Proverbs, and the righteous run into it and are safe. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. What does that mean? That we might tremble and be afraid of God? No. That we might have a, a childlike trust in God. That we might serve Him and hope in Him and worship Him. That's what it is to be a God-fearer. It means to take God for what He is like in the Word of God. If I fear God and I just pack up the Bible and put it away, and no, my fear of God, my trust of God, my hope in God is connected, as we'll see, to His Word. It's fear can have joy. Fear can have love. Fear has trust. Fear also reckons with, again, like I said, the holiness of God. This man feared God. That's why he said, I cry to you out of the depths. Lord, I've got iniquity in my heart and life. You see, fear is not just trust or love. or any, it's, it's taking God for who He really is. The full package his holiness, and His love. All of these things taken together. Lord, then do this, that I might be put back into a right relationship with You, that I might start serving You again. That's what he get, he's getting at. That You may be feared. That You may be honored. 
The fear of the Lord, says Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. See, in other words, Lord, put me back on the right track again. Put us all back on the right track. Do this for me. Undertake for me in this way that I might serve you. And so, he says, but with you there is forgiveness. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. His soul is waiting. Now, commentators are divided here as to who the watchmen are. They could be a military presence on the wall. Sometimes a foreign army would make a sneak attack at night, so the watchman had to stand on the wall. And it was extra difficult because it was dark. You can imagine yourself. If you are uh, uh, outside uh, the church here tonight and there was an expected attack, the enemy was on the move. So you would be praying, hoping, looking for the morning to come so that you could see the troop movements. Others take it as the, 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 the priests who were looking forward to the morning to make a sacrifice of, uh, uh, unto God, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I tend to take it uh, the, the, the former in terms of those who watch uh, the city. And we saw that earlier in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Uh, but nevertheless, the, the psalmist is waiting for God. That again is a part of faith. That's a, that's a sign of grace. It's difficult to wait. It's one of the hardest things we can ever do is wait. Wait for something. Wait for something to take place. You're, 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 you know, one day goes into the next, one week goes into the next, and you're waiting, 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 and nothing's coming. You get impatient. Now, there's... Many stories in the Bible of what happens when people got impatient. Abraham and Sarah, uh, David, Peter, on and on it goes. We can see the danger that impatience brings into our lives. And so he says uh, here, I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. And in his hope, in his word, I hope. This is the, the, the basis of our waiting. We're told of faithful Simeon uh, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You remember the, the Spirit of God said that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And one day, Mary and Joseph came in with Jesus in, uh, in uh, uh, their arms, carrying him in. And Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. My soul waits for the Lord. The Lord had promised. Where did He get that? Well, it tells us again in Luke. Lord, let your you're letting Your servant now depart in peace according to Your Word. That's our hope. And you can't wait on God without the Word. How do you wait on God? You get into the Bible. You go to church. You hear the Word. right? You're waiting. You're anxious. Uh, you're longing. You're, you're, and all of those things can 
put you out of shape in heart and mind. And, and how do you keep from going out of shape? you got to get into the Word. I wait for the Lord, and in His Word I hope. In other words, God says it, and I believe it. That's why one of my chief passions over the time that I've been here is to drive home this idea to young and old that unless we have a firm idea of what we hold in our hands, that it is the inspired Word of God, we're done. Why would God call us to, uh, 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 to put our trust in something that is fallible? No. Jesus, Jesus stood on the Word of God. He said, it is written. He, he shaped His ministry, His life. He quoted Scripture from the cross. He lived and died and breathed with a hope in the Word of God. Friends, that's where our hope comes from. That's how we wait. By getting into the Word. And how much more glory do we have than King David had? When we think of the mercy of God. When we think of that with God there is forgiveness. Wow! Our, our, it's just blown completely sky high compared to what David knew. When David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And then Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. And you know what the good shepherd does? He, Jehovah, gives his life for the sheep. And all the angels cry out again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And they can't stop. And we, in the light of the Gospel, are able to go back and say, I will sing a new song to the Lord. This is a new song because it's been infused with the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this is our hope, just as it was with Simeon. Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your Word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. A light to lighten the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. This is our basis as well. We go to the Word. My hope is in your Word. This is, these are the terms of the covenant. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how far down you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've said. You could be the vilest person on the face of the earth. If you watched the Voice of the Martyrs the other night uh, after uh, 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 International Day of Prayer, if you watched that program, one of the gentlemen was praying for the Taliban. Lord, we pray for the Taliban tonight. <laughs> That's amazing. We, we cannot underestimate the, the, the grace of God. If we start to say, oh, well, God's forgiveness goes this far and no further. Oh, there's something wrong about us. 
You'll remember, no doubt, when Ted Bundy was being uh, uh, executed in the electric chair, uh, James Dobson had gone to see him, and as he was interviewing him, the lights were going up and down as they tested the electric chair that night. And uh, people were outside protesting James Dobson even being there. They said it's a travesty. But Dobson understood the grace of God, even to such a, an evil man. Dobson believed that he was a saved man when he died. Now, whether he was or not, that's not the point. The point is that Dobson believed in a big God. He believed in a God of grace, even to someone like Ted Bundy. And so out of that comes this passion. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. This is His plea. He can't hold it in anymore. An old 80s song came to my mind. REO Speedwagon. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Maybe that's, that's okay. I'm sorry. That just came to my mind because I was listening to it this week. I've got it on my Spotify playlist. And that's how the psalmist is. I can't fight this feeling. He's got to turn to somebody. It's like seeing a beautiful sunset or some, some magnificent spectacle of nature. And your first response is to go and drag somebody out to it, even if it's in the middle of the night. Meteor shower. Get up. Come on out here and see this. It's fantastic. But the psalmist is not satisfied. Neither ought we to be satisfied. That's a sign of grace in the heart. That it overflows to those around us. And so this is his passion. I remember a number of years ago, I had a, a, a funeral service for a, a man in Summerside. He was a world champion piper. And uh, I got thinking of the how the, the, the pipes were used in in history, when the Scots fought in the Crimean War, they would be fighting in their kilts. And they would have pipers that would be going before them and so on. And often was the case when the men would get so down they couldn't move any further. And then the piper would strike up. And the sounds of the pipes just reminded them of so much. You see, that's why... The pipes have resonate in so many cultures. You can go to India. You can go to many parts of the world and there's some guy playing the pipes. But that's what the Gospel does. You get down in the muck and the mire and you think there's no hope. There's, I can't come up out of this. And then you hear the words of the Gospel. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. See, there's the passion. He's trying to get their attention. All those who were like Him, so sunk in darkness and discouragement, and they, they were paralyzed, they couldn't move any farther. And He's jarring them out of their, their uh, 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 petrification. And He's saying, Oh, Israel, listen to me. Have you forgotten? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Of this great God, with Him is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. That's the miracle of the Gospel. 
That's the ongoing miracle that we enjoy as God's people week after week after week. Your life beats up on you, work and uh, your commitments and whatever it is, and you kind or like the psalmist. It's not, it's not just the world, it's, but especially what we do to ourselves. And we say, man, said I wouldn't, and I did. Said I wouldn't say it again, and I said it. All these, and you you feel so down and discouraged about yourself, and you come. And the miracle takes place again. God's Spirit. God's glorified as His saints hope in Him. With Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. This was God's plan from the very beginning. He will redeem His people. This is his determination. Paul says in Romans 11, and in this way all Israel will be saved. He's not talking about every Israelite that has ever lived. He's talking about the true Israel of God that is made up of both Jew and Gentile in the church. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And this is what Paul says. In this way, all Israel will be saved. For it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion and He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be My covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so we have that same passion of the psalmist overflowing in the the New Testament with people like Peter. saying, Knowing we were redeemed not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. Or in the song that we sang, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And on and on it goes. And so this psalm describes God's people with a holy desire and determination to wait upon Him. To wait upon Him. To turn from their sins. That God may be feared. God God may be served. And lastly, to evidence that grace in our lives by making Him known. I love what Zion Presbyterian has on the side of their church. It says, to know Him and to make Him known. That's, That's the essence of the Christian life. That's what the psalmist is saying here. To know Him. To know His holiness. To know His love and forgiveness. But to turn to our families, to our friends, our neighbors, and say, hope in the Lord. For with Him is love and plentiful redemption. Let's pray. Lord, as we close this evening, we